Welcome back. And on today's Locked on Diamondbacks podcast, we are doing two rankings. We are ranking the managers in the NL West, and we are also ranking the defense before talking to Sully Baseball of Locked on MLB on some new rule changes that could be implemented during the 2023 season. We're breaking down if we're in or out on some of those new rule changes coming to baseball, the ones that have already been agreed to. So it's going to be a fun pod. It's going to be a jam-packed pod as always. So let's jump right into it. You are Locked on Diamondbacks, your daily Arizona Diamondbacks podcast, part of the Locked on Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome into the Locked On Diamondbacks podcast. Miller Thomas still here. I'm a multimedia journalist and I'm a graphic designer. So please go check out my go check out my website, MillerThomas24.myportfolio.com. On there, you can see all my latest work from my packages to my articles to my photos, my graphic design. If you, of course, want to see more content by me, just follow me on Twitter at CreatorThomas24 for my personal account or look up Locked On Diamondbacks on both Twitter and Instagram for the podcast handle. And of course, thank you for making Locked On Diamondbacks your first listen every day. Um, yeah, thank you for making it your first listen every day. I know that's not easy. I would not be doing this podcast without you, the listeners, sharing, subscribing, reviewing, doing all that so I could do this podcast for you. Thank you. I usually have a routine when I do my opening intro. I, you know, I was a little bit more off the cuff today, but thank you, of course, for making Lockdown Dimebacks your first listen every day. It's free and available on all platforms. But like I said, we are discussing a couple things, a couple of rankings today. We are ranking defense in the NL West, the managers, before we talk to Sully Baseball. And I want to start first with the defense rankings because I feel like this will be the longest part of the pod. Uh, The Sully crossover is going to be a few minutes as well. I'm going to try to run through the managers quickly. Uh, But for the defense part, I feel like this part could get a little convoluted because it's so hard to actually measure or rank defense. I got some stats here, some some statistics. But I feel like I need to give you guys a a quick primer on what some of these stats mean. Really just two of them because I think if you've never heard of these stats, you really don't know what it is. So I'm literally going to read directly from the fan graphs website but the first stat that you're going to hear a lot today is ultimate zone rating it is one of the most widely used publicly available defensive stats UZR puts a run value to defense attempting to quantify how many runs a player saved or gave up through their fielding prowess or lack thereof and it basically takes into account four factors the amount of runs above average an outfielder saves with their arm by preventing runners from advancing the amount of runs above average an infielder saves by turning double plays. The range of that player. Is he an Ozzie Smith? Is he an Adam Dunn? How quickly do they get to balls? And then does the player commit more or fewer errors compared with a league average player at their position? So UZR takes those four factors into account. And then the other big stat that you might hear is literally the stat is called defense, which is measures a player's defensive value relative to league average. A stat like UZR communicates the player's value relative to league average at that position, but defense adds in the positional adjustment so that you're able to compare defensive value across positions with different baseline so hopefully those two definitions make sense for you I don't want you to be throwing stats at you guys that you never heard of I know defense could be convoluted like I said so go to fan graphs if you want to know more about these defensive stats how they're used and their definition I give you a quick definition right there but let's jump right into the rankings uh, I got some other stats it's not just all defense or UZR I got some other stats or reasons why 
have my rankings the way they are. But let's start with the bottom, number five on the defense defense rankings in the NL West heading into 2022. And I think number five, the worst defense heading into next season from this division is unfortunately the Arizona Dimebacks. They led the National League in errors last season, 11th in double plays, second worst fielding percentage, seventh in UZR, ultimate zone rating at negative 4.4. They are 14th in plus minus run saved above average at negative 38. They were sixth in that defensive stat at negative 3.8. So basically all the stats tell you their bottom, their bottom half of the league in pretty much every major stat. They had the second worst fielding percentage in the National League. They just couldn't do anything. And it made sense because they just don't have a lot of defensive players on their roster. I think of their everyday players next season, Kelly, Ahmed, and Varsho are probably the only three above average everyday defenders that they have. And then if you look at last year's statistics, Nick Ahmed was the only one of those three with the defensive war above one. So this is not going to be a very defensive group heading into 2022. They're going to have a lot of mistakes. They don't have a lot of athletes up and down their roster. They don't have a lot of range, I think, when it comes up and down their roster, especially if you're playing guys like Taven Smith in the outfield. Uh, it, it can get pretty dicey for the D-backs defense next season. Hopefully, Ketel Marte plays more second base and less center field. We don't know what's going to happen in third base. So there's still a lot of question marks defensively for the D-backs. And they're, they're coming off a season where they already weren't very good defensively. Already the worst team in the division defensively. So I don't see it going up heading into next season. I don't see there being positive regression maybe is the best way to say it. Number four on my list is actually a surprise because they always come in, I think, number one every time I do one of these rankings. But I got the Dodgers. And number four, which might sound crazy because if you look up and down their roster, they got guys like Mookie Betts and Trey Turner, but they were 11th in the National League in errors last season. Fifth in double plays, fifth in fielding percentage, both are really good, but 13th in UZR at negative 12.7, eighth in plus minus run saved above average at six, 13th in defense at negative 16.7. So basically, they did a good job of, you know, getting to balls. They did a good job of turning some plays, but... Fielding consistently, they made a lot of throwing errors. Their their zone rating wasn't good. Their overall defense wasn't considered very good, which is surprising because if you look up and down their roster, they have so many names, so many names where you're like, that's a good defense player. That's a good defensive player, but overall, the collection of the group didn't play good team defense last year. Corey Seager had the highest defensive war at .5 last year for the Dodgers, and he's no longer there. He's now a Texas Ranger, but I still feel like this Dodgers defense won't be bad, even though they were bad statistically last season. Still got Trey Turner, A.J. Pollock, Mookie Betts, Chris Taylor. You got a lot of plus defenders up and down their lineup. So I definitely think their defense will be better than the D-backs. But considering these other three teams, how they played last season, it's hard for me to put them above any of these next three teams I'm going to mention. And at number three on this list is the San Francisco Giants. They were 12th in the NL in errors, and that's 12th at the bottom. So that means they didn't give up all that. They, they didn't commit a lot of errors last season. Eighth in double plays turned. Fourth in fielding percentage. But here are some big stats that they were really good at defensively last season. Fifth in UZR at .8. So the first team on this list to be positive in that ultimate zone rating stat. Ninth in plus minus run saved above average at one. Fifth in that defense stat at 1.8. So also the first team on this list so far with a positive defense stat. And if you look at their team last season, I think Brandon Crawford was the only guy with defensive war above eight last season. Above .8 last season 0.8 not 8.8 .8 last season so overall I think their defense will take a step back 
heading into next season because they've lost arguably their best defensive player in Buster Posey. Guys like Brandon Crawford, Brandon Bell, Evan Longoria, they're all getting a little bit older. So I think their defense could take a step back. But the numbers are just so good. And it just might be, you know, a strategy thing, the way they play defense. I don't know what it is. They they might just all be very complimentary pieces to each other on the on the you know, on the diamond. So I don't know why their defense is so good. I don't know why it played so well last year, especially when compared to a Dodgers team that seems to have more defenders up and down their lineup. But the production says it didn't live up to the name value of a lot of those guys. So right now, the Giants have to be number three on my list, and they should be number three on your list. Now, this next one will seem kind of contradictory to the numbers I've been giving and seem a little hypocritical because the Padres are probably, they probably should be the number three team here, but I have them number two because listen, the Padres were 11th in the NL in error. So they didn't do that. They were fifth in double plays. They were good at that fifth in fielding percentage. Good at that. But you look at ultimate zone rating 11th in the national league last season at negative 12.3, six in plus minus run saved above average though at 14, but defense stat. They were 14th in the NL at that at negative 20.3. So UZR and the defense stat tells you they're terrible, but all the other numbers tell you they were a good defense. So what were they exactly last season? They were somewhere in between. But the reason I have the Padres number two is because I think they just have better defensive players up and down their roster than the Giants or maybe even the Dodgers have that I think could boost some of those numbers like UZR and that defensive stat because Cronenworth, Machado, Kim, and Grisham all had at least a .8 defensive war last season. So far, none of the other teams we've mentioned have more than one guy with a .8. The Padres had four last season. Fernando Tatis, he probably single-handedly tanked some of these stats for the Padres last season because of all the errors he had. But I look up and down their roster, even outside these four. Eric Hosmer has been a very good defensive first baseman throughout his career. I don't think Will Myers sucks defensively. Jackson Profar is probably above average defender. So I just think this Padres team have a higher ceiling when it comes to defense because I think they have athletes and they have really good defenders. The Giants, I can see them taking a step back, even though the numbers tell you they're better defense last season. I just think it's more likely that they take a step back, regress to the mean, while there's positive regression for the Padres, especially Fernando Tatis Jr. So that's why they're my number two team, even though some of the stats might tell you that they should be number three behind the Giants. But number one on my list will probably be a huge surprise. You definitely know who it is now, but the Colorado Rockies probably are a huge, huge surprise at number one because they've been basically four or five in every ranking we've done so far. It's been, all right, who's the worst team at, you know, who has the worst lineup in the division? Is it the Rockies or the D-backs? Who has the, who has the worst rotation? Is it the Rockies or is it the D-backs? That's kind of been the game we've been playing in that four or five ranking. It's always been the D-backs or Rockies, but for the first time checking in at number one, we got the Colorado Rockies for defense because their defense was a lot better last year than I think people realize. 13th in the NL in errors, second in double plays, third in fielding percentage, first in UZR at 43, second in plus minus run saved above average at 45, first in defense at 48. The numbers freaking love the Colorado Rockies from last season. And I think it probably helps that they play in an offensive ballpark like Coors Field. If you're getting those balls and not allowing a lot of runs, then I think that probably boosts all your other defensive stats. But whatever the reason is, Joshua Fuentes, Trevor Story, Elias Diaz, and Ryan McMahon all had a defensive war above one last season with McMahon having a defensive war above two. Now, the issue is Trevor Story could be gone after this lockout. We still don't know what's going to happen with him in free agency, but even if he leaves, 
the it seems like the Rockies still have three plus defenders. We'll see Brandon Rogers. Maybe he's a little bit better too. Charlie Blackman, yeah, aging, but um, well, yeah, Charlie Blackman. We don't even have to mention him actually when it comes to defense. But overall, this Rockies team they played a lot of defense last season and. In a, in a stadium like Coors Field, you have to play defense. So I got the Rockies as the number one defense right now. And, of course, Trevor Story could change things. But right now, I think they should be number one since Trevor Story hasn't officially signed with someone else yet. Now I'll rank where Tori Lovello falls in the division manager rankings for the NL West. But first, I want to talk to you guys about this little book because are you ready to discover your purpose and leave an impact wherever you go? Mission Impossible, written and read by New York Times bestselling author and athlete Tim Tebow. Encourage you to find your inspiration, pursue your purpose, and create a life for yourself that counts. Ignite a new spark in your life through this new inspirational listen. Mission Impossible by Tim Tebow is available wherever audiobooks are sold. Thanks for making Locked On Dimebacks your first listen every day. Locked On MLB Prospects host Lindsey Crosby is a prospect encyclopedia. He's going deep on the MLB stars of tomorrow. It's free and available wherever you get your podcasts. All right, all right, all right. Let's get back into the podcast and let's do our next set of rankings. NL West division manager rankings. Where will Tori Lovello fall among the best managers in the NL West? Well, that's a great question, Millard, but we got to start off with number five, sir. And at number five in the NL West division manager rankings, maybe I should come up with a better title, but I got Bud Black of the Colorado Rockies. How why do I have Bud Black at number five, the man who spent 14 years as a manager? Well, that's part of the reason why. 14 years and a career record of 998 wins to 1,072 losses. What's the common cliche in sports? You are what your record says you are. And for Bud Black, he's been a below 500 manager for 14 years now, so why should I think he's above the next four who have been in baseball either a lot less or have done a lot more winning than a Bud Black has? He was the 2010 NL Manager of the Year, which kind of makes it even a little bit more disappointing that he has uh, more losses than wins. Only has been to the postseason twice, twice in 14 years. How does he still have a job? How does he still keep getting jobs? Only two 90-win seasons Ever and never more than 91 wins. He's never been a, a coach of a 95 win team or a 97 win team. The most games he's ever won in a season is 91. The stars, if you look at recently at least, seem a little disgruntled. Trevor Story, Nolan Arenado under Bud Black. Maybe that's not his fault. Maybe that's the front office, but whatever it is, then will be stars aren't happy. Now, it's obviously not all his fault, but the Rockies have not been a good team under him. They did make the postseason, I think, and lost to the D-backs in 2017. Is that what happened? But um, it's not all his fault. What (laughs) fault? It's not all his fault, but 14 years below 500 record. I'm going to have to put you at number five because he just hasn't shown me anything over those 14 years. So why is he still managing? 
Great question. I don't have the answer to. Number four on the manager rankings. Like I said, the Rockies and D-backs are always fighting for that four or five spot. And actually, you guys might think this is controversial if you're a Tory Lovello lover, but I have him number four. I'm not a big, I'm not a big Tory Lovello guy. I think he could be the next Bud Black, unfortunately. Career record of 337 and 371. Did you know Tory Lovello was under 500? Maybe you didn't. Now you know. He won manager of the year his first season with the D-backs. Good job, Tori Lovello. But since then, uh, it's been a couple seasons of near 500 baseball and then two straight years of looking really bad. Like Bud Black, that's not all on Tori Lovello. But when I think of the development of some of the pitchers, it's been really disappointing. When I think some of the decisions he makes with the lineup, the players he's starting, when I think of the short leash he has sometimes with these pitchers when they're pitching really well entering the sixth inning, or the fact they brought Madison Bumgarner off the bench to pinch it when we still had other players on the bench. There's a bunch of reasons why I don't like Tori Lovello. I think the last couple of years he managed like, he was the tank commander of the team and trying to get us the number one pick. Like, I don't want to put that out there. I'm not saying Toy Lovello trying to tank, but sometimes he managed games like he was trying to lose them. So Toy Lovello seems like a good people person, but I'm a little concerned with the X's and O's when it comes to Toy Lovello. Number three, I got Jace Tingler of the San Diego Padres. I know. Second half collapse, disgusting, but he did lead he did lead the Padres in that shortened season, 2020, to their first playoff berth since 2006. So we gotta give Tingler a little credit for that, even though it came during a really weird year. And yeah, even though the team collapsed in the second half, I kind of put it more on the players, put the blame on the players than I do Jace Tingler, because I don't know how he was, you know, manager of the year in the first half and then one of the worst managers in the second half. I don't think that makes much sense. If you look at the offensive numbers, they are pretty consistent first half, second half. It's really where the pitching just went sideways and fell off a cliff in the second half. So I don't know how much I put that on Tingler, but I still think the first couple seasons haven't been terrible. The, I don't think the Tingler experience has been terrible so far. And also, I, I like how he kind of gives his players a leash. He didn't do that with Tatis when it came to that Grand Slam. He kind of... Uh, you know, pushback about the unwritten rules. But overall, I think he gives his players a leash to go out there and fail. I mean, he let Hassan Kim play how many games this past season and he didn't look ready. So maybe that's not a good thing. Maybe it is, but I kind of like it when managers give their players a leash to fail before just yanking them. So I like Jace Tingler and I think I'm biased toward putting Tori Lovello behind him because I see him every day. I don't see Jace Tingler every day. So maybe I need to bring on uh, a locked on Padres guy to talk about it with me. But right now, I think I got him number three ahead of Tori Lovello. Number two, I got Gabe Kapler of the San Francisco Giants. Good culture creator. Look at what he's done, San Francisco's being there. And I also think we've, I think the negativity has gone too far with what Gabe Kapler did in Philadelphia because go look at those Phillies rosters those two years. Here's the manager. There were basically 500 teams those two years. And if you look at the names on the roster, their actual record was near 500 the two years um, Kapler's manager. But if you look at the names, the talent during those two years in Philly, it's pretty bad, especially that first year when they were like 80 and 82, like, Aaron Nola was like the only good player in Reese Hoskins. Like the rest of the roster can go. So I give Gabe Kapler credit for what he did in Philadelphia. And then he comes over to the Giants. Uh, let's not, let's not, you know, mince words here. I thought the Giants had a mediocre roster entering, entering 2020, not 2021, 2020. And they did better than I thought. They entered 2021 and they just absolutely blew expectations away from everyone. They played basically perfect statistically uh, from offense to defense to pitching. Everything the Giants did last year is basically perfect. So this is someone that's still in their mid-40s, still growing with the players. 
the development that we've seen some from from some veterans having late career resurgence and breakout seasons and even some of the development we've seen from the younger players like a Logan Webb players like that like I have to give K- Gabe Kapler credit because the teams he usually manages overperform expectations and he gets great breakout seasons too from some of these players so Gabe Kapler you're number two right now and the number one on the manager ranking list is Dave Roberts I have to put him here because all he does is win career record of 542 and 330 yes he makes some in-game mistakes in the postseason but guess what those mistakes are usually stem from Clay and Kershaw turning into a pumpkin. Sorry if he puts his faith into someone that's supposed to be the best of his generation. Everyone tells me Clayton Kershaw is generational. Well, why doesn't he pitch like in the postseason? And, oh, you know, we should probably mention that he's also gone against some cheaters in the World Series, which has probably uh, made it a little bit more difficult for him to win a ring as well. But Dave Roberts, I think he has to be number one. Um, of course, you could have issues with him. You could have problems. But the fact that all he does is win and gets to the World Series, maybe he doesn't win it, but he's at least always in the dance. I think he has to be number one in the NL West manager rankings. Now, Sully and I will talk about some new rule changes that are coming to baseball in 2023 and whether we're in or out on those new rule changes. But first, I want to talk to you guys about Rock Auto because this episode is brought to you by Rock Auto. With the ever-increasing number of makes and models, it's now impossible for your local chain auto parts store to stock all the parts you need. Why endure often pointless or seemingly intimidating questioning and wait while the person behind the counter orders the parts on their computer, choosing the only brand their warehouse happens to carry? Your computers with access to rockauto.com at home and in your pocket. Save time and money when using Rock Auto. Why choose to spend 30%, 50%, even 100% more for the same parts from a chain store or a car dealership? Rock Auto is a family business serving do-it-yourselfers for over 20 years. Just go to rockauto.com. See all the parts available for your car or truck right locked on in there. How did you hear about us, Box? So they know we sent you amazing selection, reliably low prices, all the parts your car will ever need. Visit rockauto.com. This episode is also brought to you by Built Bar. This is the time of year that I've pretty much given up on all my New Year's resolutions, but not this year. I'm sticking to my resolution to eat right thanks to Built Bar. It almost feels like it's not really a resolution because I actually enjoy eating them. And have you tried the puffs? They're absolutely delicious. They're proteiny. They're marshmallowy. They're fluffy. They're just an absolute treat. And like all Bilt Bars, they're covered in 100% chocolate. They're soft. They're easy to chew. And the reason why I love Bilt Bars is because I think they're made in a candy bar. But that's a funny thing. I'm tricked because it's actually a protein bar. Low calorie, low sugar, high protein, high fiber. Great for that keto diet. I hope I said low calorie, not low protein. Low calorie, low sugar, high protein, high fiber. Let me say it twice so you guys can understand. If you want your own Built Bar, just go to Built.com. Use promo code LOCK15 for 15% off your next order. Promo code LOCK15 for 15% off at Built.com. All right, all right, all right. Let's wrap up the pod. It's Monday with Millard and Sully. Monday. There you go. Monday with Millard and Sully. Hey, I'm trying to do um, my background vocals. Let's talk a little bit about some of the things that when we're hearing about yes. the the MLPA's uh, latest offer. There's some things that seem to be uh, some common ground. Maybe some uh, give there. Apparently, the players are going to give the league authority to make some on-field changes that included. Um, and within a 45-day window of the initial proposal, 
uh, in regards to th uh, three rules, a pitch clock, restrictions on the use of defensive shifts, and the size of the bases. Two of these I'm all for. One of them makes me confused. Yes. Okay, let's talk. Let's first of all, I want your thoughts on the. Uh, I'll tell you. Let me hear your thoughts on the pitch clock, and I'll tell you my thoughts on the pitch clock. Yes, the pitch clock definitely needed. Now I don't know exactly how long it should be. I really don't. I've never sat there with a stopwatch. I don't know how long it takes from to go from pitch to at bat. So I need to see that. But will the pitch clock start once the pitcher receives the ball, or is it once? Once he pitches the ball, and then as soon as the catcher catches it, does the pitch clock start there? So I'd have to need, need to know the, the the refined details of this. But overall, I'm pro pitch clock. You also have to tell the batter he can't step out the box multiple times. It's not just yeah. on the pitchers. It's also the batter checking his groin, fixing his glove. So overall, the whole process of pitch to the plate, that needs to be like 12 seconds or less. It shouldn't take that long to deliver a pitch. Back in the 80s, whatever, they used to do it real quick. So pro pitch clock, let's speed it up. I want the game faster. You know, the uh, it is startling to watch, as I told you, and I mentioned this before, I'm watching a bunch of the, the 72 postseason games for this writing project of mine, just how little time there was between pitches. It's startling to watch it. And this, and you just, you, you know, the pitch, catch, catch, runner, throw, strike one. Okay, back up there. Here comes the pitch. I mean, it's like, oh, wait, wait. like, I'm so used to everyone walking around. They check their hat. They think about God. They do everything they do instead of just sort of like just firing it in there. I'm all for the pitch clock. Okay. Uh, the restriction of the defensive shifts. Yes, I hate the shift. Obviously, mm -hmm. it works. It's been very effective. I grew up watching a lot of Red Sox games. I've seen a lot of big pop games. That dude would have been a 315 hitter if this shift didn't exist. And we just need more offense in the game. We always talk about the three true outcomes. Well, one of the ways to take that out is let Joey Gallo hit 280 in a season. Stop letting him hit 220. I don't care yeah. if he's a pull hitter. If that's what he does, if that's what his strength is, listen, you're only going to be successful in baseball and be a Hall of Famer if you get a hit a third of the time anyway. So why are we making it even more complicated where you're, you're successful if you do it 300% of the time or 30% of the time, whatever the math is. So let's ban the shift. Let's not make it any harder to get a hit. It's already super hard. It's already probably the hardest thing to do in all of sports. So let's ban the shift so we can increase offense, which will increase entertainment as well. I agree. It's sort of like when I hear people talk about like, well, don't steal bases because it's too risky. We move the shifts around because That's it shows terrible. us will be, it's like, do these people go to a stunt show <laughs> and just make sure there's pillows everywhere and don't take a risk. Don't, no, no, don't get too high. And we're walking a balance means one foot above. And if he falls, there's a pillow because that works. It's like the danger and the risk sometimes is the fun part of watching the game. This is the fun part of watching the game is seeing the infielder dive for that ball instead of, oh, no, they're all over here. They're all over here now, you know, or, you know, the, the runner going, you know, the, the runner taking off for second base who's a fun element of the game that we're, well, but you know, technically it's not a good change. I don't care if it's a good, it's fun to yell. He's going. Is he yeah, going to steal? He's fast, steal let him, him go. You know, like that, that also picks up the pace of play that the pitcher needs to, you know, is figuring out, you know, should we, you know, do a quick pitch, whatever it is that there's, there's attention being put at first base instead of sometimes the, you know, the, the runner is sitting on the base because, you know, how dare you move? Um, my rule is you have to have two infielders on the left side and two infielders on the right side of second base when the pitcher comes to the set. 
Now, when he goes into motion, if you want to run like a, a pulling guard or whatever and have that sort of, you know, okay. maybe that creates motion. Or inter- but either way, I, I don't want to see, you know, ground ball to second in the hole. No, the third baseman has it. Like, like everything there. It's just, it's crazy. By the way, we talk about the, uh, the runners staying on the base. Uh, it may be a lot easier if we uh, find out what this next one is. They want to make the base bigger? They, what, do they want a mattress? Do they want it to be yeah. the size of a pizza box? What, what's going on here? I don't really get that one. I guess it might make it easier to steal if you have a bigger circumference. I don't I don't really know the point of that one. So I don't really have a ton of thoughts on this, but I actually have a question for you, Sully. How about if we limited pitch outs from the pitcher going, you know, trying to pick somebody off at first? Or if we limited that throughout the whole game, a pitcher can have one pitch out an inning or something, especially if you know you have Billy Hamilton over there at first base. Because that's a part of the game that when you see a pitcher just go three, four, five times over to first base, it's like seven minutes without action. That's that's just another part of the game that I feel like you could increase the pace of play that no one re- will really even think about. Yeah, um, I'm going to say this half jokingly. Okay. I realize that this is going to come across as a joke, and I am saying it slightly tongue-in-cheek until uh-huh. I realize, like, hmm, this may actually be kind of cool. I'm for that if we completely eliminate the balk rule. Okay. If we can have pitchers, like, stop in mid-motion and then spin around. Hey, or like you know, Anything. I would love to eliminate the balk rule. Because, first of all, no one understands the balk rule. No. Anyway, and nothing is more confusing than being in the stands and having a balk being called. Um, but, uh, if you want to have a pitcher in mid motion and then he stops and flips and does a, does a mission impossible flip or whatever, I'm all for it. I'm all for it because at least that might be interesting. Yeah, I don't get the balk. Never understood the balk. I don't think anyone gets the balk. So no, I'm pro just – I think it would be a kind of a fun wrinkle, like you said, if just halfway through a pitcher, you know, throwing it to home plate, if he just turned around with the dude taking Especially off. Especially if the runner's gone and then you stop yeah. and you chuck it out. Like, there you go. I mean, like, okay, I can't pitch over. Fine, but I can balk. I don't understand why you have to complete your motion. If the, if you know the dude is going, why can't I just turn around and throw it? Why do I have to still keep going to home plate yeah, and yeah, risk like, giving up a base? It doesn't make any sense. Yeah, I'm all for that's. I mean, that's. I, I said the tongue in cheek until I realized, actually, that'd be kind of cool. Especially if you have some of these pitchers who could do like an acrobatic move to like as a fake out. You know, let's if any, I'm, I am for anything that increases the speed and running game of baseball. I'm uh, to me, and I said this to in a previous episode, it may have been a previous crossover. I think the single most exciting play in baseball is the inside the park home run because there's always that bit of intense energy when you realize, oh, he's going for it. You know, that to me is, and and there's an element of speed to it, there's an element of a fluke to it. I am for anything that has runners going first to third. I'm for anything that I'm all for stolen bases. I'm all for steals of home. I like speed in my game. And it's even more fun when it's not like a speedster game inside the parker. Like I think Cole Calhoun had one during the short season. It's like this guy, he's pretty thick. He's burly. He's running around all those bases. He's chugging along. So I I definitely love the inside the parker. Bill Buckner hit one when he was, when he could barely walk. And it was because he hit a drive to right field and Angels outfielder Claudel Washington, who at the time was also older than dirt, fell into the Fenway Park uh, right field stands and had just having trouble climbing out. And probably some guy named Murph and Sully were holding him down for if I know Red Sox fans. But the ball was just kind of rattling around. And there was uh, Bill Buckner, who was 
about as quick as a sloth just sort of lumbering around the bases and he made it as an inside the park home run. Uh, that was amazing. That was amazing. Wow. Well, do you, what's also amazing. Anytime I get to spend a little time, with my buddy Millard Thomas on some wow. of these locked on MLB crossovers. As Mondays. We're doing Mondays. Yeah. We had a bunch of things we want to cover. We, we, we hit, we didn't yeah. hit them all. So maybe, That's maybe true. we got to do another uh, uh, crossover at one point, but uh, Hey, uh, Miller, tell people where they can find you. Yeah, if you're not watching the YouTube feed, follow me on Twitter at Creator Thomas at Creator Thomas24 for my personal account, or look up Locked On Down Back to Mo Twitter and Instagram for the podcast handle. Yeah, and for us, you can follow me on Twitter at Sully Baseball, Sully Baseball Podcast and Instagram, and follow us at Locked On MLB Pods on both Twitter and Instagram. We're posting a lot of stuff, and hopefully, we'll be posting some game stuff. I'm going to be having a, I'm hopefully having. The son of a former player may be making an appearance on this podcast this week. We've been playing a little bit of email tag. We're definitely going to do it. Hopefully, we're going to do it soon. It's uh, the son of a player that I grew up watching. In fact, the first games I ever saw as a little kid going to Fenway Park in the late 1970s, this man was part of not only part of the lineup, but part of the American League All-Star team. So uh, his son, uh, sadly, the player is no longer with us. But his son is keeping his father's name alive, and I've been playing a wonderful game of text tag with him. So hopefully, this is the week we can get it to work. I'm not gonna. Uh, Red Sox fans will be happy to hear who he is when I when I announce him. But um, and a couple other, we'll probably do a few other crossovers. And uh, teasing later this week, I will be announcing that the Major League Players Association and Major League Baseball will reach an agreement, and we will have baseball. There you go. I put my okay. flag in the sand right there. You you can't make me a liar. So let's get at it this week. Boom. Let's go for it. Hey, thanks so much for listening to Lockdown MLB crossover for Lockdown MLB and Lockdown Diamondbacks. This is being dropped yes. at least on the Lockdown MLB feed on the seventh day of March, 2022. It's probably going to be cut up into little pieces and sprinkled all through Lockdown Diamondbacks throughout the week. <laughs> Every time I check my feed, I was on Lockdown Diamondbacks. Yes, Sully, he used that segment today. Relax. I don't remember recording with Millard. I didn't sign a release. Well, but I did. Oh, but I did. 42 hey, minutes? It sounds like two episodes, Sully. Thank you. Two wow. Look at that. I, I'm the gift that keeps giving. 42. We better not miss Jackie Robinson Day. MLB, let's get going, huh? Let's get going on that. When that being said, let me just say, what this would be, what is this? The, the, was it the 65th, 70th? Well, he'd be, uh, it'd be the 1947. Mm-hmm. So wait, I'm terrible at math. How many years ago was that? So this would be 2020. This is why uh-huh. I didn't pass the, the math C set right away. Um, yeah, that's the 75th anniversary. Wow. That's what I thought. The 75th 75. anniversary of Jackie Robinson Day, and you're going to miss it because you're playing uh, you're playing Chicken. Red Rover, Red Rover with a bunch of numbers. Let's figure it out, okay? If you want an opening day, April 15th for Jackie Robinson Day, I can live with that. You get to work. This is Locked On MLB, and I'm mad. I'm yours, Paul Francis Sullivan. You can call me Sully. That's my buddy, Miller Thomas. You can call him Sully, too. Boom. That's it for this edition of the Lockdown Diamondbacks podcast. We already kind of did an outro, so 
Thank you for making Locked On Dimebacks your first listen every day. Come back on Friday for more Dimebacks news coverage and insight. I think we have one of our last rankings, in-division rankings, coming on Friday. So you're going to want to stay tuned for that. I think we might be ranking just the best team straight up in the division entering next season on Friday. We'll see. I don't want to spoil it. We'll see. I don't know yet. I don't know yet. So come back on Friday for more Dimebacks news coverage and insight. And as always, stay safe, stay healthy. Deuces!